I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. This is a Baby, welcome to the party. I'm off the Myers in the lean. That's why I'm over retarded. Baby, welcome to the party. Huh? I hit the boy up and then I go skating around it. Baby, welcome to the party. Pick some of that. Give me lit. Gun on my One in the head. Send in the clip. Baby. Baby, baby. Baby, don't trip. Just lower your tone. Hello, welcome to a Touchy Goodness podcast. My name is Lewis. This podcast is going to be split up into two sections. In the first section, we have uh, Arsenal correspondent for Goal.com, Charles Watts, joining us. So we're really happy to have Charles. Charles was fantastic. We hope you enjoyed the conversation. We had a little bit of talk about the Arsenal-Wolves uh, game and the disappointment of, of obviously, that result uh, uh, in the first few minutes of the podcast. However, most of the podcast was centred around um events at the club so if you are looking for post-match coverage of the uh, Wolves game head on over to our Patreon page uh, that will be available to all Patreons so if you want the Arsenal Newcastle reaction you can go there and find out our instant post-match reaction pod that we did on uh, straight after the game on Tuesday Tuesday now yes uh, the second part of the pod is our two doctors um we have our Do- Dr. Leroy doing a, a special pod with uh, Dr. Rajpul Bra, who you guys might see him on Twitter as Free CP Free CB Performance. So go and follow uh, Dr. Rajpul Bra at Free CB Performance, and um, we really hope you enjoyed the discussion. Cheers, guys! Enjoy the pod. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Touchy Gunas podcast. Um, you've got myself on hosting duties, Nigeria Dan, if you, and uh, usual suspects with me, um, Sean. How you doing, man? Uh, still livid after last night, but you know, what can we do? What can we do? Yeah, so it's a tough one. It's a tough one to take, I think. Um, 
And uh, I'm very pleased to, to, to welcome you to the, the podcast today. Um, we've got a very special guest um, with us from Goal.com. Um, you can follow uh, him on, on Twitter at Charles underscore Watts. I think you've got a very informative uh, YouTube channel that I, I, I'm happy to say that I subscribe to and watch uh, a few of your videos. So um, thank you, uh, Charles, for, for coming on today. No problem. Good to, good to be here. Shame it's... Uh on the back of a disappointing defeat last night rather than three points to talk about. Yeah, yeah. And uh, it's, it's a very difficult one to take because uh, as we were saying just before we started recording, you know, it was an encouraging performance, I think, before certain refereeing decisions, you know, sort of scuppered our, our chances of taking, taking the three points. So um, in terms of where to start, I guess, for this uh, this conversation, um, it'll be good to get your thoughts on 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 that Wolves game. You know, what do you reckon the the mood of the camp was? I think after the game, you saw a lot of um, Instagram and, and Twitter posts from some of the players. You know, with lots of angry emojis and that kind of thing. So, um, do you have any insight into into how how the camp uh, might be feeling? Yeah, they were angry. They were definitely very very angry. They were distraught. Actually, um, I was I was watching Granite Jacker at full time and. It's like he just lost a World Cup final. He, he looked absolutely devastated. He just stood there. He couldn't believe it. He went, felt he was down on the turf for a time. Then they picked him up, and he was he was really really disappointed. And Bukayo Saka just stood there, hands on hips for what felt like you know five minutes. It was they were really really disappointed. Mikel was disappointed afterwards. You saw like you said on Instagram what the players were, were tweeting. There was, there was a real sort of sense of injustice about about what happened and how the game completely and utterly turned. Because they were so good for 45 minutes. It was definitely their best performance of the season up to that point that the red card happened. Um, I think you can blame them for not already having killed the game off because they probably should have done by that point. And, you know, being two, three game goals up and then even the red card probably would have been, uh, it wouldn't really matter too much. They would have probably held out in the second half and still got the win. So that was one thing you could point at them. But, you know, they played so well. You look at uh, Pepe was great on the left. Saka was absolutely destroying Kilman every time he got the ball. Um, Party was fantastic. Xhaka was great again. It was just a really... I, I sat there just thinking, you know, this is six... Go back six weeks ago to Everton and how Arsenal were playing at that point and to what they were serving up last night. And it was just polar opposite. So it was so good every time they went forward. And you just thought, yeah, this is that they're a real team now. They really are. It's all taking shape. The second half season is going to be great. And then one decision, and it all goes pear shaped. And it was just really, really disappointing. Everything went against them, really, because not, not, not just that red card and the fact that then they tried to reorganize in the second half. And within three minutes, someone sticks a 30 yarder into the top corner. It's just like, oh, God's sake, <laughs> what are you going to do? And then suddenly you're behind chasing the game with 10 men and you know it's always difficult from that point and then obviously Leno happened as well so it was yeah from from 45 minutes from one to 45 minutes it was perfect nearly from 46 minutes 30 seconds to 90 it was uh it was dreadful <laughs> yeah yeah um and, and I guess you know you, you touched on it there like the like thinking back to six weeks ago you know we 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 wouldn't have even dreamed of performances um like this on that really miserable run uh, coming up to Boxing Day, you know, we couldn't we couldn't buy a goal, you know, we couldn't buy a chance, let alone buy a goal, you know. And so what do you think is the main driver? So obviously we've seen Smith Rowe come into the team and whatnot, but I feel like the whole general mood and and, and attitude of the players has, has gone up a few gears as well since then. Yeah, I mean, confidence in football is such a massive thing. I know people talk about it and you kind of, 
brush it off a little bit, but it is it is massive. You know, these are aside from Smith Rowe, really, and obviously parties come in and certainly made a difference since he got back from his injury. But they're still similar, the same sort of players that were struggling, like you said, to even create chances beforehand, and now they're you know look so so much better. And so confidence has played a massive part. But I do think also Smith Rowe's um, emergence into the team, you know, settling on the four two three one formation, having that sort of number ten floating around. Um, who plays on the half turn and always looks to drive forward. Like the first instinct is to go forward as soon as the ball ends up at his feet, not sort of go backwards and play it a little bit safe. Um, you know, Saka's hit absolutely superb form as well. So I think that all those things added together has completely transformed the way Arsenal are playing. But I, I do feel honestly that confidence is just one of the main things. It's it, it just the same players mainly just look completely different now because they've got that belief. They know they can they know they can hurt teams, they know they can score goals and they know they can create chances. Mm. Yeah, Sean, Sean, do you want to add anything to, to that as well? Yeah, I, I I totally agree. I think, um, as, as Charles said, most of the guys that weren't doing anything previously are, are still there. Um, I just think having uh, that option in between the lines that we didn't have for so long, having someone, you know, Smith Rowe, he's a, obviously he's a 10, but he also drifts out wide to create overloads. Um and so, yeah, that, that win against Chelsea just really lifted the mood. And then we went on a bit of a run prior to yesterday. So it's just a shame it happened. My, my only hope now is, you know, going forward that confidence hasn't been affected by that, um, you know, just because we were playing so well in the first half. And, you know, you feel like a sense of injustice with the way the rest of the game went. Um, and we've got a very, very tough game away to Villa at the weekend. And you can only imagine, like, these guys probably ran their house their hearts out last night as well so it's going to be a case of you know recovering well um maybe I thought Arteta would rotate a bit last night um so he, he didn't he chose to go with pretty much the same lineup just bar saccharin um for Martinelli so it'll be interesting to see um if you know he rotates a bit um for the Villa game because Emil Smith-Rowe did look quite tired I also thought he looked tired against United on on Saturday as well so maybe it might be a chance to bring in Odegaard I don't know but Villa are a very fast and intense team as well so um yeah it's gonna it's gonna be interesting to see what he goes with yeah I thought I thought Odegaard was gonna start last night I was quite surprised Smith-Rowe started again I agree I thought he looked a bit tired towards the end against Manchester United and um I, I thought he'd start um and he actually played the full ninety minutes, which surprised me a lot as well. Mm. So I wouldn't be I wouldn't be surprised if we see Odegaard at Villa Park. The only thing is, like you said, Villa are a very good side and a very intense side. And I wonder if throwing him in away at Villa Park for his first start might catch him by surprise a little bit. But you kind of feel like the whole reason he's been brought in is to take the share the burden with Smith Rowe, and Smith Rowe must be very very close to the old red zone at the moment, given the amount of minutes he's played since coming in on Boxing Day. So. It, yeah, it wouldn't surprise me if we see we saw Odegaard get his sort of full debut up at Villa Park. Yeah, I think that's um really really fair points uh, there from from both of you. And I feel um on on that red card, Charles, I saw your tweet um just a, f- a few uh, minutes ago that um Arsenal would be appealing the Louise red card. Mm-hmm. Um, and do you, do you think there's any sort of likelihood that they would also do something similar to um, what apparently Southampton have done? Um, in terms of you know requesting that certain referees don't referee the games and and that kind of thing because it seems um, I know there's all these Twitter conspiracy theories and whatnot but it does seem that you know Arsenal never seem to get the rub of the green um, with some of these refereeing decisions I feel like from my perspective um, it seems that you know Arsenal always held up to the letter of the law when 
they're the ones that have, um, you know, committed an infringement, you know, like if there is a possibility to send an Arsenal player off, they will always get the red card. Whereas against Arsenal, it seems that, you know, a lot of the time the opposition seems to get the, um, the benefit of the doubt, you know, like a second yellow never seems to really get given against Arsenal, a high challenge never, never really seems to get, get the red card, you know, so, um, uh, it, it does seem frustrating. I know all fans think, you know, the, the decisions go against your own team, whatnot. But from my perspective, it does seem that there is some sort of bias there um, when, you know, even even if it's unconscious uh, that the refs uh, do have a way of penalising Arsenal. Yeah, it was mad. When you think since Arteta appointed, was appointed, they've got nine red cards in the Premier League. That's six more than any other team. And that's, you know, a remarkable statistic, That especially when you actually think back. And I can barely remember a bad tackle in the last yeah. sort of year or, or however long it's been since Mikel Watts last December. So, yeah, I mean, it, is, it does seem mad. Yes, those red cards, which it's just, I mean, I had a bit of a rant about it. I've been ranting about it ever since, actually. I just I just don't agree that can possibly be a red card. He's not made a challenge. He's not even trying to, it's not a case of even unintentionally um, clipping uh, the wall striker, Jose. Jose kicks him. So the, the contact is initiated by the wall striker pulling his foot back to have a shot. So how... How Louise can end up getting sent off for that, I have no idea. I can give the referee a little bit of leeway on it because in real time, from where I was at Molyneux, and I mean, I was a lot further back than the, goal, than the referee was, but I thought oh, it's a penalty and he's going to get sent off because it just looked like he'd done that sort of clip mm. from behind. It wasn't until I saw the replay that you really saw what happened. But what I can't understand is how VAR can check that and they can still give the red card. I can kind of understand them giving a penalty, but to, to compound it and send Louise off, having checked it and looked at the videos, I just can't get my head around how that's been able to happen. I can't see that Arsenal are going to ask for referees not to ref their games. So I don't think that's going to happen. Um, they have appealed this one. They've appealed it because they believe it was accidental. And um, if there was any contact, you know, he didn't mean it was, and it was so minimal that they don't even think it was a foul. And so that's what they're, they're kind of hoping they'll get off. I doubt they will just because it's a football association and they'll, Back their referees and the fact if they t- overturn it it means a referee and VAR got it wrong and I just can't imagine they're going to do that now so I think again Arsenal are just going to have to end up accepting it unfortunately and even if it does appeal it doesn't the, the damage has been done you know if you're without Louise for a game or not that's not the big thing the big thing is Arsenal lost three points that they looked absolutely nailed on they were going to get yesterday yeah yeah I I, I agree with that um and then I guess looking ahead to um Aston Villa um, I think Tierney and Matt Ryan um, were sort of the big, or like the, the notable misses from this uh, squad, I would say. Um, and given the fact that Runnison's not been registered for the Europa League, um, do we have any updates on, you know, what their fitness and whether, how likely it is that they will be available for that Aston Villa game? Because I feel like with Leno definitely not um, being able to appeal that red card, um, you know, Matt Ryan will probably be um, the first port of call before uh, Runnison. So uh, do we know if, if he, he's going to be fit and available for that game? Not sure yet. I asked Mikel that yesterday in the press conference after the game and he said that he's not been able to train for a couple of days and they, you know, they were going to have to see how the next couple of days go before making that decision. I think um, I think it's really important that he does play. Uh, fair play, Runnison. He came on and made a couple of short stops yesterday and I was pretty concerned when he came on, especially given the rain and the slippery conditions I thought Wolves are going to be firing shots in from the halfway line knowing that he was in goal and um, and he actually pulled off a couple of good saves so credit to him for that but I'm not sure I'd trust him in a Premier League game for 90 minutes so 
they will be doing all they can to get Matt Ryan back fit. Hopefully, he he will be all right. In terms of Tierney, it was a little bit worrying yesterday. Actually, Mikel, when we asked, you know, how long was he close to being able to play against Wolves, and he said he wasn't close at all. It's quite a strange one. We don't exactly know what's going on. It's all being kept under wraps, really. They call it lower leg discomfort. He did train on Friday, albeit away from the first team. But Arsenal released that sort of behind the scenes footage from training and with like showing Odegaard and stuff. And, you know, Tierney was part of that group, like training properly. It was contract training, matching, everything like that. And so he kind of figured he'd be, might be involved at the weekend and he wasn't, and he wasn't involved yesterday and apparently wasn't even close. So, um, yeah, it's a little bit worrying that because we kind of need Tierney. I know Cedric's done well and I thought Cedric was good last night against mm. Traore as well. But um, you want Kieran Tierney in that side all day long. So well, we're speaking to um, Mikel tomorrow morning again. So um, we should get a sort of further update on on both of those players then. And, and, and that, that is a bit of a worry, I guess, because obviously we've now let Ainsley Maitland-Niles go out on loan. Um, so Cedric is pretty much the only immediate cover for left and right back. So are you partly surprised they didn't go from a backup left back or I mean are they quite high on Joel Lopez from the academy it'd be interesting to know your thoughts there I think they like Lopez he's been he's been training a little bit more in the last couple of months than he has done before but I think he's still some way off you know I don't think they'd want to really throw him into the Premier League just yet but I think in terms of left back they've got Cedric and they've got Saka as well you know they know that Saka can do a decent job you don't really want to take him out of the front line but if needs must you can do and you've still got options to play up front um, on either on either wing so I think they're kind of looking at it like that with him um, I am I was a little bit surprised but it was always a bit of a tough ask I think late on in the window getting in the left back then they weren't going to do it just for the sake of it if something decent came up then they would but they'd rather wait and be patient and go till the summer when um, they'll look at, you know more options. I know that they do like Ryan Bertrand. That's um, definitely something they're looking at and exploring. But Southampton decided there's no way they were going to let him go, even though he's stalling on his new contract and he's out. And that deal runs out this summer. They kind of feel he's too important between now and the end of the season to let go. So that was one that was never going to happen. But I wouldn't be surprised if Arsenal revisit that in the summer because he certainly wants to come back to a sort of top six type side and you, know, you look at his age and he's a decent backup for Tierney he'd, play, he'd still play a fair few games I think so it'd be an appealing option for him as well um, so yeah I, I'm, I'm not overly surprised they, they did try they were looking around but obviously just a deal didn't come up that they thought was worth doing so and like I said I think they do probably have just about enough cover to see him through till the summer now yeah um, fair play and I feel like we we, we have um sort of covered the, the Wolves game um, in a bit more detail uh, on our post-match reaction pod on the on the Patreon. So um, if people do want to go and have a, a listen to what some of our um, undigested and unfiltered uh, views might be uh, immediately after the match, yeah, please uh, feel free to subscribe to the, the Patreon. So um, just moving away from uh, the, the Wolves game um, specifically, uh, Charles, uh, talking about transfers, Arsenal did actually have quite a very, a very busy January, um, you know, uh, Odegaard and Matt Ryan coming in. Um, and then I think it was, you know, seven players uh, going the other way. So um, Ozil, Socrates, Mustafi um, all had their contracts terminated, left the club for free. Um, and then uh, Kolasinac, uh, Willock, Maitland-Niles, um, and I've probably missed someone else. Um, Lieber. And Saliba, yes, all going out on loan, right? So um, I think, you know, the, the, the guys whose 
con contracts have been cancelled. I think that's you know pretty straightforward. They had six months left. They probably weren't going to play any minutes, um, especially in the uh, with in the case of Urzu and Socrates weren't registered in the first half uh, of the, the season. Mustafi, I think, made one Premier League appearance um, in that first six months as well. So, you know, you can sort of understand that. And I guess it'd be interesting to, to get your thoughts around the other sort of four guys who've left on loan. So um, I think there was rumours of Kolasinac not wanting to be in London. Um, rumours about Ainsley Maitland and Niles wanting to, to, to leave to play first-team football last season. Um, and then Saliba, the, that sort of, I guess, uh, tetchy subject for the club um, for, the, for the past six months, um, and and uh, and Joe Willock as well. So, what do you think the plan is? I guess for these four players um, come the summer, uh, because I think obviously lots of fans will want to see um, Saliba come into the team, um, but then there probably might be you know mixed feelings around Maitland Niles and Willock uh, 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 as well when they come back. Yeah, I think the Saliba one's a difficult one. I think that we wanted him to be a major success when he signed him. We were all excited about it, even though I imagine not many of us had seen too much of him actually play. Um, but we were told, you know, he was this real top, top talent. I, I remember speaking to Bakari, um, Bakari Sagner, doing an interview of him. And, you know, Sagner, <laughs> one of the best defenders I've seen, certainly in the Emirates era at Arsenal, uh, knows his stuff and he was raving to me about him. And... So it was a real surprise to see what's happened. But then from what I've understood and people have told me who are in and around the place and have seen training, he hasn't been that great in training. He didn't set the world alight. And people were, you know, not just Arteta, but, you know, everyone, pretty much everyone who watched him were pretty conclusive that he wasn't ready for the Premier League and they didn't want... Sorry, Charles, can I just push back on that a bit? Because uh, um, this really properly perplexes me because he's the same age as Wesley Fofana, who's at mm. Leicester, and who... And, and obviously, you know, with young defenders, you, you, you're buying them knowing that you're buying potential. They're going to make mistakes. They're going to... So I, I've got no problem, like, from my perspective, putting Saliba in the team, knowing that, you know what, he's going to be up and down. He's going to have games where... But but you're buying him because of his potential, you know, compared to some of our other defenders. He's fast across the ground. He's good in one-in-one -in -one situations. You look at the size of him for someone who's 19 years old. You know what I mean? So I, I, I would... And, and I'd get it if we had, like, you know, defenders who were, like, world beaters, but... We've had defenders who have been making mistakes for years on years. Do you know what I mean? So it, it does just, it seems odd to me. And the fact of the matter that Fafana, who is the same age, who probably wasn't as impressive as um, Saliba and Etienne, and who was also bought for big, big money by Leicester is, is performing. So I, I just, yeah, it, it, I find it hard to understand and I find it hard to comprehend, you know, some of the, the discussions around him. Just not even the fact that he could have been registered, you know, just for like the Europa. It, 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 something there doesn't seem to add up to me. Maybe I'm being a conspiracy theorist here, but it, it just it does seem um, a bit questionable. Like I said, especially when, you know, even like Mustafi, who's just gone now, he had more, he played more games than Saliba has this season and he had no future here. So, it, it, yeah, I, that one doesn't wash with me. Sorry. I, whenever I see press conferences, I'm always like, hmm. I'm not getting the full picture, the full story here. But yeah, maybe I don't think I don't think we probably have all got the full picture. But um, and I absolutely think he should be registered for the Europa League. I think Arsenal totally mismanaged the whole situation from not from not getting him his loan deal in the summer. If you weren't going to play him, then get him out on loan in the summer. To messing that one up on deadline day um, was ridiculous. And then to not register in the Europa League, I just don't understand. There's no way you can say that he he's not good enough to play against Dundalk and Rapid Vienna, who were. Two, especially Rapid Vienna, one of the worst teams I think I've ever seen Arsenal play. So there's no way you could say that he wasn't good enough. So that was a big error, and they've totally mismanaged that situation. But you know, if he if 
I don't, there's no, unless something massive has gone on that has stayed under wraps. And I don't think, I'd be very surprised if that's happened because it never stays under wraps. You know, someone, one of us finds out about it and reports it and no one has reported it. And so I'd be very surprised if something massive has happened that is just why Arteta has decided he's not going to play him. But every, everyone I've spoke to, you know, in, in not just around football, but agents and stuff like that who have people around the place who have seen him don't are not surprised that he's not been playing in the Premier League from what they've heard from, from Colney. So... I, I don't know. It's all I, it's all I can say, but I do. I absolutely agree that it was a bit weird. And you know, what's the point in playing Mustafi this season? You, you may as well play Saliba because you're going to harm his development. Him just sitting on his ass for six months. What's the point in that? So they've they've handled it terribly, I think. But if you're Mikel Arteta, if he's decent enough, you're going to play him. Why would you not? What you're only hurting yourself. You've invested that amount of money. I don't get why you wouldn't be playing him if you don't, unless you don't think he's good enough. And and I know there's conspiracy theories and I can understand why people are so confused or baffled about it because it is a really baffling thing. But I just look at it as a fact as I haven't heard that there's been a massive fallout or anything like that. Mm. And so, and until I do, then I just have to look at it at the fact that I trust Arteta to, that he knows his football. And if he's looking at players and he thinks they're not ready, then, then they're not ready. I can't, he'd be hurting himself to not be playing him if he was this you know, if he was ready to play in the Premier League. I don't understand why he wouldn't do it. And mm. so that's, that's just the way I, I look at it at the moment. And it'll be interesting. I've seen it. I saw his first game for Nice and I didn't think he looked great then. I haven't seen what he's done since then, but I heard, I've heard he's had a he, he's had a couple of good performances. So, that, so that's good. And everyone at Arsenal, again, are saying that they are not cutting their losses on him and they want him back in the summer and then they're going to go again. And that he's still very much part of the future. So I, I've certainly not been getting any signals that they're ready to cut their losses on him at all. And this is like the end of the road for Saliba. But um, it will be interesting to see what happens in the summer when he does come back. Mm. Fair, fair play. And, then, and do you reckon the same can be said of Maitland-Niles and, and Joe Willock, that they're, they're still part of Arsenal, Arsenal's plans? Or is this sort of, you know, we're getting them out now, putting them in the shop window type thing. And if they do perform well, it's to... You know, raise some fees for for a big summer, um, as opposed I, I think, to reintegrating. I think it's, I think it's a bit of both. I think it, it was interesting looking at Edu and Mikel's comments when and the press releases when they were sent out, and you know they both sort of hinted that they were still there, very much part of the future. But I, I think you look at those two, and um, you know it's pretty clear that I don't think Mikel absolutely trusts Mikel, uh, sorry um, Ainsley, and he, he's not convinced about him in terms of the work effort he puts in behind the scenes. I think he, when he's playing well, he's playing well, he's in the team, but then he keeps challenging him publicly, Mikel, to do more, I think. So there's clearly something there that he doesn't quite agree with in, in terms of how he works. And um, so I think they're probably looking at it now, get out five months, regular football, play well, increase your value, and potentially sell in the summer. Because Arsenal are going to have to sell in the summer. You know, there's, not, there's not much money around at all. Um, so they're going to need to raise money to help, you know, they will, they will get some money from from the coffers, but they'll need to raise money as well. And you kind of look at Maitland-Niles and, and Willock and, um, you know, they're pretty sellable assets, a young English, um, still got some time left on their contracts. So um, I kind of feel like they wouldn't be at all surprised if they've been sent out now to get their value up before coming back in the summer. And look, Ainsley needs to go and play football. He doesn't want to be sitting around now, does he? He's an England international, so he can understand why he wants to get out and, and maybe Arsenal should have sold him last summer when Wolves were knocking and offering £25 million. The way it's sort of unfolded this season, they're probably looking at that with a little bit of regret now. 
Um, but hopefully he goes out and does well. I was surprised at West Brom, though. I don't know about you. I thought I'd, I'd surprised that he's chosen to go and play there in a team that as bad as that with Allardyce as manager. I think, um, you know, Southampton were there. They wanted him and he chose not to go there. You know, Arsenal wanted him to go to Southampton. He chose not to go there. So I think that was a bit of a surprise. You think that that, that those rumours about, you know, it's because he wants to play in midfield and stuff like that um, are true? Because I agree with you. It's a funny one because... You know, Sam Allardyce's teams don't really play with a midfield. You know, it's a it skip the midfield out and 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 uh, you know inches football trying to get high uh, high up the pitch with, with big sixty yard um, long balls. You know, so even if he does play in the midfield, I'm not sure that's the best team for him to sort of showcase his um, his skills. So yeah, for me, it's a, it's a strange move to 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 see that he's rejecting you know sort of decent Premier League clubs because he doesn't want to be a fullback. Um, to to probably get relegated, um, just to play centre mid. But you know, um, uh, wish wishing them all the all, all the best, I guess. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I, I think it's a strange one, and I do think those rumours are true in terms of uh, the sort of positional promise that he's been made and playing in midfield there. So I, I do think they're true. I, I don't actually know that. I haven't been told it myself, but I know he's been reported it and how close they are with the Ainsley sort of side of things. So um, I, I imagine that is is the case. Um, and yeah, I hope he does well. Like you, I, you know, I really like Ainsley. I think he's great, and um, I loved what he did towards the end of last season. Those performances in the semi-final and the cup final, and you know, he's in England international now. He doesn't want to be sitting around, so I hope he goes and does make a success of it there. I'm not sure he will, just because like you, exactly what you said. Um, but hopefully, he'll, he'll play well. Maybe get moved in the summer and go on to become a regular somewhere else. What What about um, Charles Reese Nelson? I think for a lot of people, like. So a lot of people thought he should have gone on loan straight away at the start of the season. He, he he hasn't played much. He's like third or fourth choice left-hand right winger. So the, the pathway for him seems quite blocked. And it's quite interesting because when Arteta first came in, he was very, very big on uh, Reese Nelson, even more so playing him like over Pepe and stuff. So I wonder what's happened that so much so that he's fallen completely out of favour. You've seen he's not even made like sort of the last couple of squads and stuff as well. And I thought that would be a, he, he probably more so. I was surprised because I think I read, I'm not sure if it was you, but, you know, some people are saying he didn't want to go on loan to the championship. But I thought that would have made a lot of sense for him, you know, looking at what Emil Smith-Rowe did last season. It seemed like the logical step for him as well. But, yeah, I because I, I feel like he's just wasting his development by just not going to play. Yeah, I'm really surprised he's, he's stayed because he's definitely been one of the players who Arsenal have been looking to get out on loan, but the right club didn't come up. For him, and he's opted to to stay here. I, I'm surprised. Again, I kind of look at Reese similar to Saliba. I think it's just a bit of a wasted season, especially now he's going to be here till the end of the season. Um, and I'm yeah, surprised because, like you said, Mikel was really hot on him when he first came in, and he, you know he talked about a lot, played him in those first few games, and then even in the Europa League this season, I thought Nelson played pretty well, and Mikel again bigged him up. I think of the game was it the last game they played and he scored again and Mikel said he felt like something had clicked with him in recent weeks and then from that point we're not seeing him at all and then I remember I asked Mikel about it in a press conference a while back and he said oh he's been injured that's why he's not being involved but he's back now but even since then he's not played he's not been in the squad so it kind of does feel is you know he's going to be just be kicking around you don't see any opportunities for him now between now and the end of the season and and I wonder what he feels because obviously as from at academy level, he was rated higher than, you know, anyone, both uh, Saka and Smith-Rowe. So it's, it's probably, I don't, I don't know if he's struggled to adapt to senior football, but 
it it seems sort of just like he's coasting along and he, he maybe doesn't have, you know, that same sort of personality that, you know, a Saka or um, a Smith Rowe does. You know, they look very hungry. They don't look timid or shy where, when they're on the pitch. You know, sometimes Nelson, when he's had his minutes at Premier League level, struggled to make that bit of an impact. So, yeah, mm. it's uh, it's interesting. I remember I was over in Australia for the um, Australia tour a couple of years back, three years ago, whatever it was, and Reese Nelson played in that. And was just he ran the show. He literally every time he got the ball, he had eighty thousand people on their standing on their feet. It was just like the Reese Nelson show. And um, I was watching that and just think, God, oh, this kid is he is one special talent. So it is it's a shame to see he hasn't really kicked on from there and really nailed it. I don't think I, th- I think Saka was more highly rated coming through the academy. Saka, everyone has raved about him since he was a kid. He's been fast tracked through playing well in age groups, well above everyone knew he was very very special. I think the thing with Reese is he's he's not quite as all-rounded. Saka, you can play left back, right back, left wing, right wing, and he's man of the match wherever you're playing. Number ten, he's just that that good. And then Reese isn't. I just don't think Reese has got enough about him to really be able to do that. So he's he's very much sort of pigeonholed as a as one of the wide men, and he's just not like I said. He's not taking his chances when he has had them. Certainly in the Premier League, he doesn't. He, he feels a bit like he's playing within himself a little bit. He's not like when he was a young a younger man. He would express himself a little bit more. I'm not sure if he's just now he's around the senior players. He's a little bit more nervous to to try what he's been good at as he coming coming through and he plays within himself. But he's never really be able to keep being able to kick on, and that's why, like you, I thought alone suited him absolutely now because it, it does. You're going to look back at the end of the season. It's just going to feel like an, an absolutely wasted year of his development. Yeah, yeah agreed, agreed. And um, I guess uh, just to, to move on to another player that you you touched on briefly um, in Martin. Uh, Odegaard, um, in in our group, he's he's a very popular um, player. I think Shell was one of the main champions of this guy um, from summer. You know, saying that oh, this he's, he he had a great year at Sociedad. This is someone who Arsenal should be looking to to bring in. Um, so I think as as a whole, we were very pleased um, with that signing. Um, I guess my question to you is, how likely do you think it is that you know we can potentially make that that move? Um, permanent uh, in in the summer because I know there isn't an option or obligation to buy or anything like that but um, I, I think uh, correct uh, please correct me if I'm wrong I think with Kovacic uh, when he was at Chelsea there was no um, option uh, to buy either and, and, and Madrid seemed quite open and, and, and that seemed like quite an easy deal to do um, to, to, to sign in person uh, permanently to to Chelsea so so yeah I just guess how, how, how likely do you think it is that we can make that um, at the permanent signing? I think it all depends on how he does between now and the end of the season because I think he's a really talented player. I mean, I haven't, I'm not going to sit here and say I've seen him loads and loads, but what I have seen him from, he looks like a, a, a talented player and Arsenal like him a lot. Mikel really wanted him. But um, there is no option, obviously. And I think a lot of it depends on Real Madrid as well because, you know, he's clearly not part of Zidane's plans, but it, it, I'd be very surprised if Zidane's the manager for Real Madrid next season because, you know, he's looking at the season's looking like they're not going to win anything this year and you know managers are not going to survive that at Madrid so I don't think many expect Zidane to still be there next year so the new manager might fancy him might want to have a look at him and you know without an option for Arsenal then they haven't really got a choice in the matter if if the new manager says I want him back here then he's going to go back and Arsenal aren't going to have a say in the matter so there's a lots of sort of ifs and buts and you have to just kind of wait and see you know is he going to perform well enough for Arsenal between now and then is he going to adjust to the Premier League um, in the short space of time that he's going to be here you know or Arsenal I think you're probably look, looking more likely 
that they might look to get him on loan, kind of similar to Sabios. You know, they had him for the season and then they've taken him back again for another year on loan. Um, and they might look to do something like that again rather than turn it into a permanent deal in the summer because there's so many um, uncertainties around, uh, sur- surrounding both clubs in, in terms of money and um, who's going to be managing the place and you know, will he settle into the Premier League. So I think for now, we just got to watch it and see how he gets on and, and then approach it again in the summer. But, you know, Mikel really likes him. So as long as he performs to how I think we all expect he should do in the next couple of months, and Arsenal will certainly try to look at getting something done for him again. Yeah, that, that probably segues you know, sort of nicely into sort of the next question, you know, around sort of summer plans. Obviously, we've started, you know, sort of the big churn and call of the squad in terms of getting a lot of the deadwood out. Um, obviously, it's hard to project now because there's still quite a lot of the season to go. We've still got, ideally, obviously, we it's very unlikely we're going to play in the Champions League, but, you know, you never know what could happen in the Europa. So I guess that will probably influence, you know, how much sort of money we have to spend, who our targets will be. But more so, do, do you sort of have a handle on, you know, what, what type of um, positions we'll be looking at? Because obviously it's great that Emil Smith-Rowe is doing well, but he's only 20, you know, he's had his injury issues. Um, and, and I think of all Arsenal's biggest issues this season, I'd say creativity has been the biggest one. So obviously, Emil Smith Rowe is doing is doing really well, but that's why obviously I was very happy we managed to get Odegaard on loan. But you know, if you think back to the Wenger teams, we used to have Fabregas, Wilshire, Nasri, Rizitsky, Kleb, um, to you know play that sort of good combination football. You need like numerous of those types, and I think Arteta spoken previously about you know replenishing that sort of style of player, and um, so I'd I'd wonder if if that too would be targeting, and, and you know if you sort of got a handle on what other positions we might be looking at. I think they will have certainly looked to do something in terms of the attacking midfield role, bringing in more support for Emil. If it's not going to be Odegaard, it will be someone else. I think they'll look at doing something with a striker as well. Um, this summer, I think we'll see a new, a new striker arrive and potentially Lacazette move on. They've got a big decision to make with Lacazette really now because he's going to have a year left. I don't think you give him a, a new contract personally. I think it'd be a bit of an error if they did that. And so they've got to try and, I think they've got to try and move him on. Um, whether that, he... that's that, that's interesting, Charles, because obviously I know he he's got a year left, but Eddie and Ketia will, will also have a year yeah, left still by the summer, and then Balogun as well. That situation is interesting. So, I mean, what what would you if you were to make a call? What what do you think would happen? Because do you reckon they would renew Eddie? Because obviously it looks like they're still trying to get Balogun to sign. But um... I think they should renew Eddie. Whatever happens in terms of even because I just think if even if you. Even if you sell him, you you want to get decent money for Eddie because I'm not sure Nketiah's got is going to be you know Arsenal proper Arsenal standard. Yeah, I think he's been given enough opportunities and hasn't really taken them. I think he's a decent striker, but he's going to be worth a lot of money. I I think even if you decide to sell him, you look at what Liverpool got for Brewster and you know deals like that, and you don't want to be selling Eddie on a cut price deal on a year. So I think he, you, I think they absolutely need to tie him down. The only um, issue that they've got is this um you know i think he's the same agent as balligan so um and that's clearly the relationship between him um and arsenal isn't great at the moment um it's a shame what's going to happen with balligan because i think he will go i'll be very surprised if they get him to sign now and i think the fact that he's not been involved recently um is a sign of that because if you're going to try if you're really trying to get him to sign then you, you play him or you certainly include him in and around the squads and the fact they're not doing that now suggests that they pretty sure that he's going to go they're always in a tough position with him though because of the fact that they're shut down contract talks and everything had collapsed and then to suddenly restart them 
after that, you're always in a difficult position. It's always going to be hard to get him to stay, especially um, when you look at uh, how his agent operates as well. You know, he's got a very trusted sort of route for his players heading over to Germany. And um, I think that's probably where Balogun's going to end up. So that's a shame. But in, so, yeah, they're going to have to, they're going to have to do something with the forwards because you've got, like you said, you've got the Inketia situation, you've got the Lacazette situation, Balogun's probably going to go. So you've just basically left Devora and Martinelli then and whether Martinelli's an out-and-out striker is open for debate. So I think that's going to be certainly the area that they're looking at this summer um, to try and improve. It's like they're going to be the main, the main focus of them as well as the attack and midfield option and potentially, potentially centre-back Again, it kind of depends what happens with Lever, but I think that Rob Holding's getting better and better and better at the moment, and um, he's nowhere near his peak yet. And um, I think there's a really top quality defender in Rob Holding. I really do. And um, if he can stay injury free, and so I think he might kind of change their plans a little bit as well in terms of the right-sided de- defence, because uh, only a few months ago they were thinking about letting him go, and then they kept him, and now he's turning into an absolute, you know the first name on the team sheet when it comes to the centre-backs. You know, it's kind of who plays with Rob Holding at the moment rather than the opposite way around. So potentially something is centre-backs, but I certainly think the attack and the field option and striker department is going to be the, the real area of focus this summer when it comes to the transfer window. Yeah, fair, fair enough. And I think on that, Holdman, I think I, I would be very surprised if they sort of put more resources into signing yet another centre-back because I know um, Luis is out of contract um I'm, there were a few calls to renew his uh, his deal for another year, um, but I'm not sure how loud those calls will be, um, like coming out, you know, after what happened yesterday. Even if it was um, very harsh on him, um, and I feel like the fact that they've given Holding a new contract, you've signed basically two, three centre backs. I think um, in the past eighteen months, in Pablo, Mari, Gabriel, and Saliba. Um, if they went out to go and sign another centre-back, I would be very surprised, um, especially given sort of the situation in midfield where Ceballos is, is only on loan. El Nenny, um, I think most would agree, would need to be moved on in summer as well. And then, you know, Xhaka and Party are probably um, the, the first-choice players right now. So if you add Torreira and Guendouzi into that, as well, like what the situation might be with them, uh, who are still only on loan as well. It, it, it seems like a lot of work to do if you're then trying to sign a, a, a centre-back on top of that as well. Yeah. Yeah. I, it's going to be interesting at the end of this summer, because I'm already looking at the squad now. I think the work they did this January was really, really good. Um, yes, they had to pay players off, which isn't ideal, especially when you spent so much to bring those players in whenever it was you signed them. Um, but it just looks a squad that's more feels a little bit more like Mikel Arteta's now. It's slowly but surely. We've still got a few transfer windows to go before it really is Mikel Arteta's squad, but we're beginning to see it um, come to fruition now, his vision and the blueprint and how he wants Arsenal to sort of go. And I think after this summer, we're certainly going to see it because some of those players you mentioned there as well, you know, I think Elneny may well go. Um, Torreira, they'll definitely try and uh, and get rid of. Guendouzi, I think they will they will as well. So uh, they will probably have to bring in another central midfielder as well. You know, I love the look of Basuma at, at Brighton. I thought it was great when I watched him in the 1-0 up there the other day um, because of all the links with him. I was kind of watching him pretty closely there and I thought it was great. And, um, you know, there's a real talent there that potentially Arsenal could look to get something, uh, do something with. And um I'm just looking forward to seeing how the squad evolves over the next, certainly this summer window, potentially next summer as well. But I think going into next season, it's going to really start to feel like Arteta's squad. 
and um and, and i'm excited to see what the sort of plans are but it's just so up in the air at the moment because no one knows how much money they're going to have no one knows if fans are going to be allowed back in there we all hope they're going to be that the vaccine is going to be fine and we're going to have fans back in the stadium and suddenly that income is going to come back but if it doesn't if it all goes tits up again then and there's no fans next season then you know clubs are literally they're hemorrhaging money they've got nothing arsenal have had to take out this loan for the bank of england just to cover until may when hopefully the next tv deal comes in and the season ticket money starts coming in you know they've got they've literally run out of cash and so um if if it does go if the country does it you know go turn into a mess again then and there's no fans next season then i don't even know what they're going to do in terms of investing in the squad so it's there's so much uncertainty around it mm. agreed agreed i think um yeah just to to, to wrap up let's let's uh, go through some some listeners questions um i think so charles this is a, an interesting question uh, here from uh, Matthias on the discord um one of our patrons and he says uh, has have you noticed any differences in the way the club deals with the media under the new regime being edu and arteta uh yeah they're definitely they're, they're more up for for chatting they've done a few media chats now which before and they weren't at all i mean raul raul and vinai when if it was kind of raul was running the ship i know it was builders raul and vinai but raul was running the ship they did, did a couple for club media but that was it they never sat down and actually took questions for us so they're certainly more open to it and um and they keep saying that they are i mean they've still only done a few they're not going to do it every single week but um they seem more willing to engage in the media rather than just keeping it in-house which is a good thing i think because you do need media to ask questions rather than just arsenal journalists because you know if it's arsenal it's going to be pretty straight and um you know nothing really controversial so uh yeah no they, they definitely seem more up for it and i really like I really like Vinay. I've kind of reservations about Edu. Um, I'm not, you know, I didn't agree with the whole scouting network and what he did there. I just, I just thought that was a bit of a mistake and I remain to be convinced about that, but I thought he'd done well this window. So I'm going to give him credit for that in terms of getting the players out. Um, he showed a bit of a ruthless side that Arsenal haven't really shown before and perhaps have needed. So, um, so yeah, he's certainly be, he's beginning to win me over with the January transfer window, but in terms of Vinay, I think they've got a good man running the ship, looking after the non-football side of things, which is a, which is a good thing. Hmm. Um, there's there's a few questions, I guess, on the Balogun situation that we've touched on um, briefly. So I think you you said that, um, you know, you, based on what's happening now with that, I, I think something like he's not been involved in first team training since like the 8th of January or something like that. There's a lot of questions. So um, OT, but in the tweets, um, asked, you know, Balogun update, were solid bids from clubs declined and why if his contract was expiring, basically? I didn't hear any bids were rejected this this window. They certainly were in the summer, but um, they weren't very good offers. Arsenal kind of felt that if it went to tribunal once his contract ran out, they'd get more money than the bids that came in last summer. Obviously, the problem with that is if he goes to a foreign club, which is beginning to look more and more likely now, they're not going to get that. It's not going to they're not going to get much money for him because even at tribunal, it's not, it's not the same going, you get more money going English to English club. Um, so that's a shame, but I haven't heard that anyone's bid. I don't even, why would you now, if you're going to, if you're talking to him and his agent about going on a free transfer in a January, why would you offer Arsenal any money now? So, um, so no, I didn't hear anything was rejected in January, but they certainly, there was a couple in the, in the summer. Sure. Um, funny question here from uh, Guna LBN underscore. 
on Twitter and he says, um, did you replace your frame that broke? No, yeah, it's that. Uh, well, actually, it's not there. It's, uh, it's uh, the hook just out there for me. But um, it's, it's at the shop and I got a text saying it was ready to collect the day before we went back into lockdown. And so I hadn't gone to the shop to collect it before we went into lockdown. So it's still sitting there somewhere and waiting for the shop to open again for me to go and get it. Oh, that was an absolute nightmare, that was. Okay, I love that picture. Yeah, it's a good, it's good, good picture there. Um, to it was the last day, the last day of Highbury, and it's all sort of the montage made up of loads of different pictures of that, um, of that day. It's got like me and my dad in it as well. So, uh, yeah, no, I love that picture. That was a, that was a nightmare. That God, that video is going to haunt me forever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so, bait face Nate as well. Um, he said, "What is our position with the players with one year or less on their contracts?" So, um, I know we touched on uh, Lacazette. Um, and, and Ketia briefly as well. And then uh, Luca Van Gross has also said, assure me that David Luiz will not be offered a new deal, uh, <laughs> basically. So I feel like um, there's a few players on, on coming up to one year left. I think Elneny's one, uh, Lacazette and Ketia and David Luiz. So um, do you think that, because I guess from my perspective, I would say given how they've acted with these players with six months left, I feel like the club would be very... Um, apprehensive letting anyone else get into the final year of their contract. So um, do you think that, that all of those players will be moved on this summer? I think they'll try, but, you know, whether whether they can. I mean, you know, they tried to move on Ozil, Socrates, everyone like that, and Mustafi before. But unfortunately, because Arsenal pays such good wages, the players don't really want to go. And especially now, I mean, with what's going on at the moment, there's not much money swilling around in football. So if you're a player, say you're El Nenny, and you're guaranteed to be getting whatever he's getting at Arsenal for another year. You know why? Why would you move on it somewhere else and probably not get as much money? So I, I can understand the players sitting out. So it's not going to be easy for Arsenal to to move him on. But I think they'll certainly try. I think Guendouzi as well has got a year left, hasn't he, uh, this summer? So that's a key one. It's going to be a shame, really, that Arsenal are going to end up probably losing him for next to nothing. When you think of how much he was kind of worth only after six months after signing, um, it's a shame that how that's all panned out. Um, so yeah, but I, I haven't heard that. Sort of, certainly, Louise, they're not talking to at the moment. They they will at the end of the season. Whether they whether he stays, I, I have absolutely no idea how that how that will all work out. And the same with on any and, and the rest of them. I haven't heard there's any contract talks going on with any of them. Um, and I presume Arsenal now are just waiting to see what happens. And again, the same with transfers because you just don't, they just don't know how, what money is going to be available next next year. You know, do you want to offer these guys new deals? Certainly, Louise or someone like that, but. If there's not going to be much money swilling around next season, then is it really worth keeping Louise to another pretty hefty contract for another year? I think they'll wait and see until the end of the season, and then see what the benefit, see what the um, budget's going to be, see where they finish, what money might be coming in in terms of European football, and, and go from there. I just feel like we should just try and trim the squad as much as possible. I know obviously we did some of that in January. I think they said we had like 31 players on our books, and now we're down to around 25. But I never got why we were like hemorrhaging so many centre backs. Why we had so many centre? We've still got Mavropanos. I don't know why we don't. So that's why you know Charles, you saying we might look for another centre back is it baffles me because, like you said, we spent a lot of money. I don't know how much Mary cost, but what Gabriel was in between like twenty to twenty five mil. Saliba was thirty mil. Yeah. Um, it's right. It's a right sided centre back. I think. I think they've got enough. They've got enough with the left. But it depends. It kind of depends with Saliba. It's you know, if they if they fancy Saliba, then they won't. If Arteta decides that he's so, come back and he's he's ready, then I don't think they will. But I think if if they if but, but they, sh- 
surely Charles like surely he can't come back and they decide again like that he's not ready because if you think I don't know how long his contract was but he's already not played a, he's been a, he's had an he's had an Arsenal deal for two years and he's not had a single minute of football mm. for the club and I, and I and I've seen you know quotes from him like in French reports that were saying like he's like I, I if you had told me that I was going to sign for Arsenal and not play for them in the first two years like I would not believe you so it just seems so surely, because he's a right-sided centre-back, so I, I just don't see why, like, after ploughing £30 million into him, like, you wouldn't use him. Especially I know, oh, absolutely. Like... But, again, it comes down to the point if the manager fancies him or not. And if Arteta doesn't want him, then he's going he's, he's gonna to sell him, isn't he? I, I think, at this point, because otherwise you're gonna, he's going to be running down that contract and he's gonna, his value's just going to be plummeting unless you send him out on loan again for, an, for another season, which I don't think Saliba would want to do. So yeah. I don't think it's an absolute certainty that he's going to come back and play. As much as I know fans yes. want him to, I don't think it's a certainty just because I've not... You know, if I don't think he's ready now, then there's definitely not a certainty that in six months' time he's going to think he's ready, ready then. So, um, you know, I think that that's the whole situation. If, if he decides, look, he's going to stick around, he's going to play him next season, then they won't sign a right centre centre back. But... If he wants, if he decides to cut his losses and try and get him out, then then he's gonna have to. That's insane, but yeah, fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I'm in the same position as you. I was excited as everyone else when Arsenal signed him, and you know, I knew, I know people who are involved in that deal, um, in in the scouting side of things, and you know, they're as baffled as anyone else about what what's going on. And so, yeah, it's it's a weird one. It's a it's a bit of a it's a bit of a mystery in the Saliba situation. It's fair enough. No, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Sorry. Definitely, and I feel like uh, the final final question I think probably um, encapsulates encapsulates all of the Arsenal fans' um, moods at the moment. So there's a couple um, of similar themes. So uh, at the Bem at 100 said, um, you know, is can a FIFA investigation take place in regard to the standard of refereeing in this country? We need an objective opinion in order to progress. And uh, guns blazing uh, says. Is there anything you as a journalist can do to bring light to the below par performances of officials in the Premier League? If so, what is it? And if not, why? Basically. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I cannot fix the issue of refereeing in this country. Unfortunately, I wish I could. But uh, my dad used to be a referee. He could come in and do it. But uh, no, I mean, I've got, I have absolutely no idea what's going on with the officials and, and everything. So, uh, I, yeah, I don't even know where to start with that one, I'm afraid. <laughs> Yeah, it's a tough, it's a tough, tough one. But um, but thanks again for uh, for coming on, Charles. Um, we really appreciate it. I'm sure um, that our listeners will appreciate that too. Very insightful. Um, uh, as I said at the start, you can find Charles uh, at Charles underscore Watts on Twitter, and he's also got a really good um, YouTube channel, uh, which I think you've almost uh, close to 50,000 50, subscribers on that um, Charles there. So uh, yeah, he he does put put out regular videos there with uh, all Arsenal-related um, news. Um, make sure you subscribe to the Touchline Fracas um, YouTube channel as well. Um... I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and, not as uh, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more know, doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Leave, leave us a like um, and a comment uh, on, on YouTube. 
Uh, make sure you listen to uh, us on Spotify, leave a review on Apple Podcasts, sign up to the Patreon, you know, give and, sh- and really show us uh, that support. Um, there's lots of new and exclusive Patreon content coming out um, in, in the next few weeks. Um, we'll be doing, I believe, uh, a, a halfway point review uh, following the, the, the end of the transfer window. Um, so keep your ears peeled uh, for, for that. Um, Charles, thank you. Sharon, thank you. Thank you very thank much, you. boys. Thank you very much. Right. And thanks for listening. Right. See you later. Like any good team, hiring the right employees for your front office is just as important as recruiting the best players for the game. That's why you need Indeed. Indeed is the job site that makes hiring as easy as one, two, three. Post, screen, and interview all on Indeed. Get your quality shortlist of candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job description faster. Only pay for the candidates that meet must-have qualifications and schedule and complete video interviews in your Indeed dashboard. According to Talent Nest, Indeed delivers four times more hires than all other job sites combined. Get started right now with a free $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Get a $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Offer valid through June 30th. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Touchy Gunas. My, my name's Leroy. I'm your host today. And we're joined by a very, very special guest. Um, you've probably seen him on your timeline, um, breaking down the medicine of the sport that we love so dearly. We've got Dr. Raj Brav, 3CB Performance. How are you doing? Not too bad. And yourself? Very well, thank you very much. So I'm going to get right into the meat of things because everyone's been dying for this podcast and we've had lots and lots of comments you wanting more medical stuff. So we're going to start with Martin Odegaard, so the new signing at Arsenal. Now you've probably seen on Arsenal Twitter, everyone's a little bit antsy about his potential knee injury. There's a lot of misinformation going on. Um, and I just wanted to try and clear that up a little bit with you, if that's okay. Um, Absolutely. He's been diagnosed with patella tendinopathy. um, Mm -hmm. And you did a fantastic video on that, which we'll link to at the bottom for you, everybody. Now, can you tell us a little bit about patella tendinopathy and what that actually means? Yeah, sure. So the patella is, for everyone listening, below your kneecap, it connects your kneecap to kind of that the shin bone, right? It's a tendon. And so it's quite common, often called jumper's knee. And essentially what it is, it's just, there's not irritation, but the tissues in that tendon, if you overuse them can become a little disorganized and therefore painful, right? The, the key thing to understand with this, there are stages of it. It's not something where I always hear, oh, you know, what's his quote, degenerative tendon. No, that's like stage three, which is like severe cases, right? Mm-hmm. And so... In this case, from my understanding, it's pretty early on stage one. You have to manage it. Yes. Right. You can't, the key thing with tendinopathy, tendinopathy is it's not just rest, only rest helps. That's not true. For example, he was out for three months during the pandemic. He came back, he still had the issue, mm. right? It's all about how you load the tendon appropriately. And even that being said today, uh, Ben Dinnery had a great tweet showing that he's been available for 90% of the matches throughout Mm. his career. Mm. So it's not something where 
he's even missing that many games. There's something that you have to manage appropriately and that, and that's okay. So just as you mentioned, we have to load the tendon properly. Now, mm-hmm. a lot of the concerns that I've seen online are about the Premier League, the rigors of the Premier League and the intensity um, and having to play sort of games th- every three days back to back. Now, with someone with sort of grade one, stage one, sorry, tendinopathy, would you see that being a problem in the Premier League where it's compared to sort of La Liga or is that not something that would worry you as a, as a clinician? Well, I mean, it, yes, they're higher intensity. Yes, they're a little more physical, but that's the power of having a good road test. That's why you ha- need squad depth, mm. right? And that's why he was brought in, for example, with ES. Him and ESR will complement each other, Emil Smith-Rowe, sorry, will complement each other in terms of providing each other with some time off and not having that pressure to always play every match. Mm. And so that's, that's the key thing, really. I think it's a really good fit for Odegaard for that reason is because he doesn't have to, to play all the time. Yeah, fantastic. Now, another question that we've had is him being 22 years old, 22, 23, Mm-hmm. Um, he's obviously got a long career ahead of him. Now, right. do you see this kind of injury or this kind of issue, sorry, shortening his, the length of his career or would it give you reservations to sign someone like this on a permanent deal? If it's managed well, mm. you can, it's something you can manage. For example, in the video, I use Rafa Nadal, tennis player. Yeah. He had it in both knees since he was 20. Mm. His career has been quite good, I would say, you know, a decent career. And so, and that's a very, very start and stop, high intensity sport where you play on a hard surface, correct? Yes. Yes, he, yes, he's missed some tournaments and some matches, which you can expect from Udegaard too. But mm. again, he played the majority. So that's the key thing. If you have a player with this much talent mm. and you have a rotation behind him, which is necessary for any good team, yeah. right? then absolutely you can have him play a very long career. I think people, I think there are some examples kind of thrown out there with Cristiano Ronaldo, who quote unquote, again, a lot of misinformation on Ronaldo's injury as well, where about, so people look at that. It's all about managing it appropriately. Okay. Well, thank you very much. That's really, really informative. Now I'll move on to another player who's very popular. Gabby Martinelli. (laughs) (laughs) Now, a lot of people love Martinelli. Um, Big, big fan, big cult following. Now, there have been a few concerns and a few, let's say, rumours around Twitter about how he was being managed when he was coming back from his knee injury. Mm -hmm. So I want to start with his knee injury because they weren't very specific on on the Arsenal website. We don't know. They they mentioned a cartilage injury. Now, um, that could be meniscal, as you mentioned in your video, or that could be articular cartilage, and we don't really know. Um, Right. Now, I think there was a Jamie Redknapp um, thing recently. Yes. He had a a meniscectomy back in the day, which is where they remove the meniscus. The full meniscus. The full meniscus. Now, um, you mentioned in your video about how they did a repair on Martinelli. So how does that... I think, I think. Let's just make sure. I think they did. You think, based on the information we have. But in terms of the recovery time, et cetera. But yeah, I yeah. Think that will affect, if that was, speaking hypothetically, a repair yeah. to removing the tissue, how do you think that will affect him downstream? Because he had a long time out. It's, I, I, it's actually, a, it's a, even though it's a longer time out, so it's a short term 
longer reacclimation, medium and long term, it's much much better. Yeah, because you're preserving the tissue. Yeah. You have so the meniscus is a piece of tissue sits between your shin bone, your tibia, and your femur, which mm -hmm. is the upper leg bone. Right, it sits in between the knee joint. It serves as a cushion dampener, reduces friction, mm -hmm. a few other things. And so if you remove any of that tissue, it changes those mechanics, right? Yeah. And so that's why in Redknapp's case, from my understanding, they took the whole thing out, which doesn't, it blows my mind even that they would do that considering mm -hmm. why would you remove tissue if you don't need to, but hey, you know, that was surgery back in the day. And so in his case, it's at, if at the least, if it is meniscus, it was a repair. You don't, with the, typically with a, if you remove a small piece of the tissue, you're back maximum eight weeks typically mm -hmm. these days. Mm -hmm. So he was out obviously five, he, he came back earlier than expected, but it was still about five and a half months. Yeah, of course. Which, but it bodes well for him in the medium and long term mm -hmm. in that regard. Now, there were some concerns about his management in terms of coming back and his um, mm -hmm. to play because he's been out for quite a while and a lot of people saw him play one 45 minutes, I think at under 23 level. Yep. And they yep. get thrown in straight away in the Premier League. He didn't play the full game, obviously, but the intensity of under 23s and the, the Premier yeah. League is very different. Now, usually, I mean, I only have experience at a lower level, maybe not your level. You would see more of a, especially with that kind of timeout, you see a small staged, um, staged approach to bring them back to Progr intensity. Progression, yeah. And they would look at them and look at how they're moving, et cetera, in between, um, and look at how they respond to this respond to the match, respond to the stimulus, mm -hmm. training, etc. Um, so did you have any concerns about how they brought him back? Um, and did you think any of it was maybe because we were under pressure and performing quite badly at the time? I, I was a little surprised that he went from the under 45 straight. I thought he would play at least a full 90. Yeah. Because from my understanding also from what I heard about that is that he was quite fatigued after that 45 minutes, mm. especially with his, you know, his style of play is, is a little, little, it's a little, you know, hyperactive, we'll say that. And so he was quite tired and he was brought back in. I mean, I, I had some concern, but the, this Arsenal physio metro team has proven multiple, multiple times that they have a rationale for what they're doing. And if a player isn't ready, they will not clear them. For example, I mean, Mikel, I thought that made it up. He made it a point in his interview after the last game saying, five players were not available to me. And that's not his decision, right? Mm -hmm. That come is coming from the training staff. And so, so they're basing it off all these metrics that we're not seeing. Of course. So there must, there must have been, I'm guessing based on everything mm -hmm. that he, that, that he was, he was ready for those minutes. And it seemed like he was, cause he didn't seem to be moving it poorly or anything of that nature. Sure. Okay. Now, in your experience, after someone's had such an injury, um, let's say a quote-unquote repair, how long do you feel that it takes them to get back to their pre-injury level um, in terms of their pre-injury performance? It, it's very much player dependent mm. because of one, the fitness level. Well, let's, let's say even removing fitness from the equation. Yeah. I think Martinelli, he, he works really, really hard on himself, on his body. We all saw he was training really, really hard. So I think the hardest part I see after these long-term injuries, it's, it's the mental part. Yeah. Whether I can come back out here and go into this, you know, this challenge 50, 50, et cetera, you know, that, that subconscious fear. 
And so mm. typically, I mean, I mean, I'll be looking maybe two to three matches where I want to see how the player is progressing. Mm. But it depends. Let's say after a five or six month layoff, it's so hard to say an average, but I'll say, I mean, at least, and it's injury dependent, mm. but you know, I, I'll be looking at least a month out or so sure. at minimum. And then of course it depends on what's that player's previous injury history yeah. as well. Right. So there's so many variables that go into it. I think the positive with Martinelli, it's a double-edged sword. Hmm. He comes back on, we just talked about, he almost shows no fear on the pitch and you have to rein him in a little bit at times. Hmm. And I think, and I honestly think we're seeing that now after his ankle sprain, yeah. They're, they're, they're burning him back slower. Hmm. Like last game, he played 10 minutes. Yeah. Right. And so I think they're trying to, they're, they're maybe re, they're adjusting to what they're seeing. Sure. Okay. So moving on, Arsenal have been quite unlucky with um, ACL injuries. We've had quite a few mm-hmm. in the session. We've had Hector Bellerin, we've had Callum Chambers, we've had Rob Holden. Yes. Now, this is actually a, more of a personal question for me. I feel that some players nowadays compared to what they used to are coming back a lot quicker than they used to they are now do you have any do you have any idea why that is compared to sort of previously well i think in general there's always a pressure to come back as quick as possible yeah right and and we've seen expedited return to play protocols Hmm. but the research is showing with those there's a higher risk for re-injury there's a higher chance for downstream consequences yeah. now again naturally right so there's always this push and pull mm-hmm. you want a player back on the pitch mm-hmm. but at the same time what is the medium and long-term interests as well sure. and so you know as technology advances as rehab advances of course you're going to have those timelines decrease but like you said I mean, we've seen instances where guys are back five and a half, six months. I can name two, Nicolo Zaniolo uh, for, who was it for? In Italy, came back five and a half months. Yeah. Towards other ACL, I think his first game back. Yeah. And yeah. so, or second game back. And and so there's, there's definitely more and more examples of that. Mm. I believe, I'm trying to remember what the return to play. I think Bellerin was about eight months. Holding was about nine months. But holding was acclimated very gradually. Mm-hmm. He was a very, very gradually. And credit to him, he, he mm-hmm. fought through that. Mm-hmm. And, and you could, honestly, you could say if you watch their physical performance now, I think the fact that holding was, was acclimated that gradually yeah. is showing because he's, he's back. I could even say he's back to better where he was before. There was that play uh, versus when he was. Uh, it was him versus Zaha on a sprint and he kept up with him for 20 meters. Right. And he nudged him off the ball. Yeah. And so, whereas Bellerin sometimes his pace still isn't back to where it was. Not at all. Um, and actually that's an interesting point that you bring up Bellerin because there's been some contentious issues about some people feel that he started to lose that pace pre-injury and he wasn't as sharp as he was before and before he actually had the ACL. Yeah. Now, a lot has been made of his diet and the fact that he's, for a while, he's been vegan. Mm-hmm. Um, now, do you have any experience with vegan athletes? And if so, do you have any opinions about it? I don't really personally. The nutritional aspect is not something I tend to get into. Mm. What I do know is that we it's really, really hard to say whether there is negative or positive effects just because it's so early into 
the research on those aspects. I do know, for example, what we know about bean diets, they are significantly anti-inflammatory, but I don't, I'm not exactly sure how it affects, you know, let's say muscle growth, hypertrophy, right? Recovery that the inflammation aspect will, but we don't have Mm -hmm. enough of a, of a, of a big, I think a large enough or a long enough sample to really make that conclusion. I know there, I think there's that documentary on Netflix. I cannot remember the name about vegan diet. Game changers. Game changers. Yeah. I think that's what really made it popular. And so, Mm -hmm. but I, there's still not enough, a robust enough evidence Mm -hmm. to really get into that. Honestly, when I see Bellerin play, yeah, he lost, he's lost pace. His biggest issue is, and always has been, He's just not very good in terms of his positional awareness. Like he's, he, he's like lagging behind. He, I, I describe him like, you know, playing a game on a 33K modem. He's always lagging. Yeah. Like he, it takes some time to like, he used to be able to make up for it with his pace. Yeah. Now he has less margin mm. and, and he reacts, he reacts slowly. He just does. Yeah. Yeah. It's difficult. Yeah. Um, okay. Um, another issue, concussions. Now, um, you've probably seen that recently the Premier League have um, uh, authorised the use of, well, they're talking about authorising use of concussion substitutions. Yeah. It's been a long-standing theme that people say that football never takes head injuries seriously and they don't take concussion seriously, um, especially in, compared to other sports like um, American football, for example. Correct. Now, in your, so in your experience and in your practice, do you feel that, how do you, do you have any sort of views about how concussion is assessed in football, particularly the time? I mean, I find the time being quite a difficult factor. Yeah. Um, and um, if you had any changes that you would like to see or suggest, what, what changes would you like to see in the way football managed head injuries and concussion? Sure. So the first thing with a, with a true... So concussion is very serious. The way it's described medically is actually a mild traumatic brain injury. Yeah. That's what it is. And so... The first thing you need for a valid concussion test is you need a quiet environment without any stimulus, right? Being on the pitch is not that. Yeah. Maybe more so now without fans, but it still is not that. And typically you need about 10 minutes to do it. So how can you conclude with any, with any validity that this person is not concussed Mm -hmm. in two minutes when they have all this stimulus, they know, you know, people are expecting to come back in the game right all this pressure pressure Mm. on the medical staff Mm. it's just not valid right and so that brings me to changes that need to be made one i wish there were temporary subs Mm -hmm. to to allow that person to be assessed secondly and american football does this really well now after a long time it's an independent neurologist who is clearing these players so Mm. there's no pressure in terms of clearing that player for the sake of the team. And that's still, I mean, I know as a medical provider, you think that they're, you know, they're there for the player's safety. Of course they are. Right. But they're still human beings, right. There's still that tendency to mm-hmm. do it. And honestly, you see it the most in the world cup where they, like, they clear people like in like three days, it's ridiculous. Cause there's so much pressure from the country and their FA. So you need an independent neurologist you need, and you need temporary subs. I think those are two really major, major ones. Something that I think uh, English rugby uses now is vid- is a video replay. They allow their medical individuals to review any potential incident hmm. for a head trauma. 
whether they saw it or not. Yeah. And so I actually have a, I actually have a video on temporary concussion sub rule and these changes, but that was the gist of it. Is those those changes? But I really think temporary subs. I think permanent subs is a it's it's a good start. Mm. But what if that person doesn't have a concussion, right? Yeah. That that so it kind of almost it penalizes you. I think I think we have to balance that out a little bit because I understand the competitive aspect as well, of course. Of course, yeah. No, it's very important. But you're right. There is an external pressure, particularly if you're working for that team, um, is a conflict of interest, really. Um, and yeah, I mean, look at Mourinho and uh, what were his, his comments on? I cannot remember her name. The name, yeah, but, uh, the lead physio. But he was like, I can't believe she came out there during stoppage time, and then eventually she got fired for it. And they said it had nothing to do with Mourinho. And everyone was like, yeah, okay. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> definitely, definitely. No, that, that's great. Thank you very much. Now, so the last thing I wanted to touch on um, is aging players. Yeah. Now, um, so, for example, with the Aubameyang contract. Yes. There were some people that were very pro the Aubameyang contract because obviously he's got lots and lots of gold for us and he's been fantastic. Uh -huh. this, uh, there was a small subset of people who had a bit of a doubt with age curves. And see, they're thinking, at his age, is he about to drop off a cliff? And there's some talk about that with Willian as well, is he sort of got off a cliff. Now, in your experience, in terms of sort of performance, when players age, do you find it happens quickly? Do you find it happens slowly? Is it very player dependent? And um, they just hit a wall and fall off a cliff? Um, and what kind of ages does, does that really happen at? In specifically in football, because it's going to be different in different sports. Um, yeah. Information about that, or any any thoughts about it? Sure. I mean, the general trend is certainly like you know, as you age, you have a higher injury risk for for muscular injuries. You're going to drop some performance, but it's really player dependent because it depends on how they've been training. Yeah. Right. I what I always tell players is that consistent train when you're younger, consistent training of course helps, hmm. but where you really see the benefits are on the backside of your career. Hmm. Right. That's when consistent discipline really shows the difference between you can see which player has been consistent with their diet, training, nutrition, which yeah. Obama Yang, everyone says he's he he works extremely hard on his craft. Yeah, he goofs around and people think he doesn't sometimes, yeah. but he's an extremely hard worker. So is William. Like yeah. he's a, they're, they're both role models in that regard yeah. in terms of the work they put in every single day. And so that is why I really didn't have an issue with the injury. And when you watch Obama Yang, his pace hasn't gone away. Yeah, yeah he's low on confidence. So is William. But nothing I'm watching physically from either from Obama Yang or William tells me that they're losing anything, right? Yeah. And so the one thing you're concerned about with older players, if they pick up an injury, it can be harder to recover. Mm -hmm. And so, but again, if you we're not privy to kind of, we don't see what their habits are. So before I'm signing an older player, I want to see what their habits are. And I think that's a big, big reason why I'm, I thought that brought in William, why he wanted to keep Obama. And he sees when I'm a young player and I see this guy, these guys over 30 coming in before I am more mm. committed than I am. Right. And, yeah. and that's what really tells you, you know, it rubs off on these players. Fantastic. Okay. Well, I don't want to take too much of your time because you've been very, very generous with your time today. So thank you very much for coming. Now, tell everyone where they can find you. Sure. So on social media, it's at 
three CB performance, three Charlie beta performance. You can find me on YouTube as well. And those are kind of the major outlets. I tend to put videos out, uh, a lot of Arsenal related stuff because that's who I follow. Yeah. But in general, yeah, you know, feel free to interact. You can see me on Reddit too, but yeah. Fantastic. Thank you very much for coming on. Thanks for having me. to 2-2 and we've still got more than half an hour to go and here's Ozil, Lacazette, Ozil! Yo! This is a Baby, welcome to the party. I'm off the Myers in the lean, that's why I'm over retarded. Baby, welcome to the party. Huh? I hit the boy up and then I go skating around it. Baby, welcome to the party. Pick some of that. Give me lit. Gun on my One in the head. Send in the clip. Baby. Baby, don't trip. Just lower your tone. Cause you can get hit. Don't let the head in your system. Sports Social Podcast Network.